0: I've often heard people say that no experience is ever wasted. You know what I mean. That everything that happens to us helps to shape the person we become. My own circumstances made it difficult for me to believe that for a while. I endured 12 years in a maximum security prison for a crime I did not commit. I spent every gruelling minute fighting to get my convictions overturned, which I eventually did. Was that experience wasted? The easy answer is yes. But without those very painful years, I would not have become an investigative journalist for the BBC Panorama. I would not have been plunged knee-deep into danger interviewing a notorious drug lord in Afghanistan. I wouldn't have been chased down by armed Republicans in Northern Ireland, unsure of what they'd do if they caught me, but quite sure that I would not like it. I would not have been granted the opportunity to film five series of Inside the World's Toughest Prisons for Netflix. That experience gave my professional life new meaning. It became my job to give a voice to the men who did not have one. These were just men, very troubled men, who found themselves in very dark places. Many had fully accepted the wrong they had done and that they deserved to do time but now they were made to exist with a live-or-die mentality, unsure each day as to whether they'd live to see the next, or if an impromptu riot might cause them to be decapitated in the night, their severed head serving as a football for their cellmates the following lunchtime. The murder of prisoners took place in prisons across Brazil, including Porto Velo Penitentiary, two weeks before I was locked in it, to film the first episode of Inside the World's Toughest Prisons. These prisoners are people who made bad decisions in life and are paying the price for them, but they do not deserve to be dehumanised in the process. It is one thing to deprive a convicted criminal of time, it's quite another to render them defenceless in the face of the dangers posed in places like Porto Velo penitentiary. It's my mission to use my profile and my privileged position as a journalist to ask those uncomfortable questions about what we want to be done in our name as a civilised society. I know only too well that the criminal justice system is incredibly complex and the administration of justice doesn't always produce the right result. Around the world, some countries do far better than others, but the difference between those that get it right and those that don't remains vast. As you know by now, I'm no stranger to what happens when it goes wrong. This isn't the part where I convince you that I'm a saint. In school I was disruptive and even got expelled. I grew up in South East London where it only took stepping out of your front door to start going down the wrong path. I mixed and I mingled with the wrong people. I witnessed violent acts and wasn't too shy about getting involved in them either. I was a criminal. I own that. There is no doubt that I was headed for trouble. But does trouble equate to being wrongly imprisoned for 12 years because of false accusations? For myself and the people I mix with, there was never a thrill from committing a crime for a quick payday or getting caught up in violence. I'm not one for excuses. That was the truth of it back then. If I had broken away or lived in a place where everyone was going to college or university, perhaps that would have been my ambition. But I didn't have any vision at the time. I didn't feel like I was being guided in a particular direction. All I knew was the world I grew up in. My dad found his own methods to try and steer me away from crime. He'd beat me. He'd tell me I was headed in a bad direction. He'd even warn me that I'd end up in prison if I wasn't careful. I remember how he would say that in prison I would only be fed bread and water. My father's words served as a warning shot. My rebellious streak refused to be smudged out so easily. I was not a silly guy, I was just young and naive. I had no sympathy, no empathy, nor any of the traits that you develop as you get older. How was I any different from any other twenty-year-old? Imprisonment could not deny me my formative years. I grew defiant in my circumstances like a stem of green stretched to the sun through cracked slabs of concrete. Prison reshaped my life and my perspective. I learned what torture was. I never knew if I would ever be released. Spending life locked in an 8 by 10 cell would have broken me at some point. My body was subject to abuse. The amount of time I spent in segregation, stripped naked and beaten by prison officers, could have crushed my spirit and soul. But I couldn't dare allow it to. There's a shift that happens when you enter your cell for the first time and the door shuts. People react very differently. Every prisoner develops their coping mechanism. The guilty tend to be more accepting. I've sat down with many guilty men and the second their cell door closes, their fate is sealed. My reaction became my driving force. I mustered that inner strength we all have in us when we need it most. Prison didn't make me. My inner workings, my mind and my determination did. I did that. Many have compared the self-isolation and quarantine that COVID-19 demands from us to the experience of being in prison. It's not even close. That's not to undermine the hardship and isolation that COVID-19 has inflicted on many, but they are wrong. Outside we have our freedom. We can look out of the window and see life moving before our eyes, a luxury I'm sure you would recognise if it were taken from you. We can move around in our houses or flats, We can interact with our loved ones, even if it's through a pane of glass or a screen. Sure, we've been given government guidelines as to what we can and can't do, but we can walk out of that door any time we want to. In prison, only one side of the door has an handle, and it's the outside. You wait forever until someone comes to tell you what to do and show you where you can go. Outside you can make choices. No prisoner is handed that privilege. So much is taken from you physically that you can't help but start to feel the psychological impact. Being imprisoned requires a completely different mindset. You develop different ways to cope. My methods evolved into a skill set. I became a very visual person and I gained a better understanding of men. You can imagine that prison is quite the melting pot. On a daily basis I was rubbing elbows with men of all different sizes, all posing different levels of risk. They could act hard or they could be all right. Some were manipulative, some were conniving, some posed a daily threat. It was my job to keep myself breathing. Those daily interactions around such a collection of different traits taught me how to read a man. It doesn't have to be as blatant as a knife in his hand or an expression on his face. It's an instinct, not a science, a byproduct of having to constantly be hyper-aware of your environment that instinct has served me well, especially as a journalist. Still, you couldn't have told me that prison would have led me to the life I have now, and I still wouldn't wish to do a day of it. It would be a lie to say that this gross misfortune did not open the doors to the life that I am fortunate to lead now. But no one should spend a day, a week, a month, a minute, in prison for something they didn't do. Even if I put aside the fact that I'd been wrongly imprisoned, there still stirred deep within me as a young man the feeling that I did not belong in that cell. I needed to be free again, literally, metaphorically, desperately. I turned the bitter hatred inside of me into the fuel for the fight for my release. That was the introduction to my book and this is the epilogue. At the very beginning of the book, I questioned whether everything that happens to us helps to shape the person we later become. For many years, I didn't see this. I was angry at the injustice I received, and I took the anger out on the system and those who were implementing it. At no time did I ever give up, and every setback I received made me stronger and more determined to see justice properly served. Having had the powerful and challenging experiences that I have, It would be a waste if I didn't now channel them into achieving something positive and to help other people who are also going through a similar dark journey. Working in the media with the BBC and currently with Netflix has given me a profile around the world and a voice. This is not something that I sought but it's happened nevertheless. If I've learned anything over the past two decades, both behind bars and in front of the camera, I've learned that there is injustice everywhere. I've learnt that the truth on its own isn't enough and sometimes you have to fight for it. I've learnt that society can be unforgiving and prejudiced and that those people in a position to judge others are not always impartial and can have agendas of their own. I've learnt that we all need to be more vigilant to protect the values that hold us together as a society and not to prejudge anyone without listening to both sides of the story. I've learned that my work is now only just beginning and that all my experiences have indeed been for a purpose and I believe that it's to shine a light into dark places and ask those probing questions that only a journalist can. However, one voice is not enough to make a real difference. If I'm to do anything to fight injustice and to speak for those who are not in a position to speak for themselves, I'm looking for people who are not willing to remain silent where silence condones the unacceptable. I'm looking for people who want a fairer society, which respects the human right of everyone, irrespective of the mistakes they may have made in their lives. I'm looking for people who have been moved by the inhuman and degrading conditions that far too many people have to endure behind bars. Serving time in prison to make amends to society for committing a crime should be just that. It should not mean having their lives being put in danger or being dehumanised. That was never part of the sentence that was handed down. As a society and as caring individuals, what are we prepared to accept being done in our name? If my personal journey has opened your eyes to what is happening today in our country right now and also around the world, I invite you to take action. I can't do this alone. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope I've inspired you to think about how we can make a difference. And thanks to the hundreds of you who have left comments after reading my book or listening to the audio version. Here's a few of those comments. Brody wrote, and I quote, After watching World's Toughest Prisons on Netflix, I decided to purchase this book and for the last three days... I have hardly been able to put this book down. Most definitely worth a read. Unquote. Thanks, Brody, for your positive feedback. Your reactions obviously make me react, so keep them coming. Richard wasn't as positive about my story when he wrote, and I quote, I wanted to like this book. I thought his Netflix series was great, but this book, blimey, what a self-proclaimed victim. Within the first four pages, he's blamed his situation on his colour, his environment, his mother, his father, his teachers, the school system, his school friends, etc, etc. Basically, the bloke was a self-confessed criminal from a young age and embarked on a life of crime. He was jailed for a crime he did not commit, but was not jailed for the crimes he did commit. Self-serving tosh. Unquote. I smiled at these comments because they are partly true and everyone is entitled to their opinion. It's also interesting to see how people who see or hear the same thing react differently. Thanks, Richard. And so you know, I'm not offended by your opinion. Kelly's review said, and I quote, I came across Raphael Rowe whilst flicking through Netflix. I was hooked on the world's toughest prisons. I was not aware of the humanitarian stories he has covered prior to this. A very interesting gentleman with many great attributes. No trace of bitterness despite the injustice that he has served. I would recommend this book as it has something to offer from the usual top listed books. An insight into someone who is honest and extremely down to earth. Thanks Kelly. So I don't get it all my own way. And there are plenty more reviews where these came from. And I just want to say thanks for taking the time to share your views on what you've seen or read. This episode is not about plugging my book or getting you to go and buy my book or the narrated version. If that's what you want to do, do that. If you don't, don't. I just appreciate you listening to this special edition episode where I've shared with you the introduction of my book, the end of my book, just to give you An overview of what I'm trying to do in my work to give myself and other people a second chance and sometimes that second chance is just people leaving comments about the work that I do or their view of the show that I host on Netflix etc etc please share this episode with your friends family and colleagues and if you want to follow the show for updates about new episodes just click on subscribe Be a part of this podcast by rating and reviewing what you've heard and tell us what you think. More importantly, tell others what you think by leaving some comments. This is an independent podcast, meaning we're doing this out of passion, not pay. But we do need your support to pay for the production. So please, if you want to make a small donation, click on the support link in the description in the show notes. If you want to advertise your products or services on this show, please get in touch. If you want to connect, drop me a direct message via Instagram, Twitter, Facebook or any other means you have to make contact. Audio editing is by Audio Avalanche. The original music is by J. Rowe Productions. The cover design work is by Studio Minerva. Our guest bookers are Sophie Warner and Lewis Hunt. This episode was produced by me, your host, Raphael Rowe.